0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito
1: to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Thiefstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See
0: official rules at frito laysnacketespnationcom I was like, none of them.
1: <laughs> See, we should have been recording this. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, like, yeah. he- well, the, uh, the, the audition is <laughs>
1: Oh
2: my God. <laughs> All right, I'm ready whenever you clowns are. I got squeakers coming
0: out of me, but I'm ready.
2: Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Where is Where the is wise, wise man? man? Where
0: is Where the is scholar? scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age?
1: What are they getting? Everything got They not get a Super
2: Bowl out of me. Need that. Need that. All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Tuesday night, April 25th. My name is Jake Luke, and I am joined now on my screen as I get rid of the standby there by Speneth Pickett. How's it going, bud?
0: Going quite well. Boys are back in town. It is that time of the year, our second annual beatdown big board. This one was a little a little more casual, I think, this year. Last year we went mega big brain into it. This one kind of we, we smoothly navigated through, had the lactate help us on the, the path out. And it's here. I'm excited. I'm excited to dive into who we think is the best pick for the Ravens of what was decided by the listeners and the options that we have provided. So I'm very pumped for it. We have a third on with us as well. And Mr. Cole Jackson, who has been a regular as of late and will probably continue to be as we, we work fluidly. So we're pumped to have that deciding vote as well to, to have the three man weave of sorts and work through this bad boy.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on boys uh i'm i'm only here because we're not talking about trades and strategies um that's that's the only reason
2: we are going to be talking <laughs> about these prospects though and uh you know maybe you could give your input on uh you know maybe some things football related or otherwise that you'd like to watch them do
1: a joke's not going to get old it's going to continue to be hilarious for like the next three to six business months my so, favorite I'm my
2: favorite. I like to think of like a person that listens to this podcast that like isn't active on Twitter at all and just has (laughs) no idea like what we're talking about. They're like, all right, can these idiots just like get into like the actual show here? Like what's going on? But uh yeah, we are here to do the beat down big board. It's official. Uh it's gonna be a fun one. Uh and I was trying to do some stuff to get it promoted on Twitter, but I'm having some trouble with Photoshop. But uh Yeah, I guess that doesn't really matter. We can just jump right into it. Uh, And anyone listening is free to interact as they see fit. And uh, we're looking forward to it. So let me go ahead and pull it up. So gentlemen, here we have it. I went ahead and seeded the prospects as so uh, winning. In the Twitter polls were Charles Cross in the tackle section, Jermaine Johnson at Edge, Leo Chanel at linebacker, Kyle Hamilton at safety, Jamison Williams at wide receiver, Andy Booth Jr. at cornerback, Travis Jones at defensive line, uh, Jordan Davis at defensive line, Tyler Linderbaum on offensive line, David Ojabo at Edge, Sauce Gardner at cornerback, Jalen Petrie at safety, George Thickens at wide receiver, and Devin Lloyd at linebacker. And... So what I went ahead and did was I seeded them based upon value and fit and kind of like realistically how they're going to have their chances to, you know, get their hands on a guy. So Charles Cross was a one seed for me. Feels like a guy based upon value, based upon how good he is and based upon realistically the Ravens landing him. He felt like a good one seed, just as Jermaine Johnson feels like a good two seed to me in that regard, as does Kyle Hamilton at three. Andrew Booth Jr. is the fourth seed on this side of the bracket. Travis Jones, five. Uh, Jameson Williams, six. Leo Chanel, seven. And then we have a wild card that we're going to seed in here live on the show tonight. And then from the other side, you got Jordan Davis as a one seed. Tyler Linderbaum is a two seed. Sauce Gardner is a three. George Pickens is a four. Devin Lloyd is a five. Jalen Petrie is a six. David Ojabo is a seven. And then a wild card on that side as well at eight. So how are we feeling about this bracket, gentlemen?
0: I think it's pretty realistic of what you're looking towards through some trade back scenarios or at 14, Mr. Penning, the man of the hour did not make it onto this board ultimately, but I think it's, uh, you know, going to present some good options as well as factoring in some guys that could be likely in a trade back scenario or a trade up scenario in the early first or excuse me, the early second end of the first round. Uh, I think there's some, some real, Real possibilities here. And last year, the listeners did correctly predict Rashad Bateman as the best pick, as the ultimate pick. That's what you guys ended up doing. We're going to post these on Twitter to work through uh, matchup by matchup. But we're going to do the exercise first. And for the listeners, you guys get to work through it yourselves and determine who is that guy for the Ravens this year. Cole,
2: what are you thinking upon uh, viewing this bracket for, I guess, the first time we were, we were kind of sitting in here uh, talking a little bit uh, as Spenny was over with a friend of the show, Kevin Ostryker, on Locked on Raven. So, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about it a little bit, but uh, what are your first thoughts upon seeing it?
1: No, I think it makes sense. Um, you know, it, it's, just, it's funny because I, I think what's clouding me right now was the discussion today that was uh, plentiful on the Twitters about Trevor Penning. So just the fact that he didn't make the bracket is quite comical in and of itself, but uh, you know, that's, as such, should have won the poll. Um, but uh, no, I think this looks great. I'm, I'm really excited for some of these battles on specifically the right side of a, the bracket. It's going to be good discussion.
2: Yeah, I think it is. And uh, yeah, I guess we can talk about that news a little bit where the Ravens came out today uh, or not the Ravens, but Ian Rappaport rather, you know, basically we can read the tea leaves via the Ravens. Uh, saying that they are confident in Ronnie Stanley's health. They feel like he's going to be good to go, I think, was a quote for 2022, uh, based upon their medical evaluations of that ankle. Uh, That is in conjunction with some reporting from a friend of the pod, Jeff Zrebick of The Athletic, who is uh, bullish upon the Ravens' love for Trevor Penning, the offensive tackle. So, of course, the conversation becomes smokescreen. Are they smokescreening to smokescreen? Are they trying to make teams think they – don't need a tackle so they can get somebody like Penning to fall to them? Are they trying to get teams to think that they think that they don't need a tackle so that they can have other teams move up to get tackles so they can get other positions? What's going on here? It's a, it's kind of a wild scene, Ben.
0: It certainly is. It feels just too coincidental. I don't think that the timing can be understated, and it feels like between Jeff professing the Ravens love for Trevor Penning while also Ronnie Stanley's injury situation or the positivity of his health, however you want to put it. Uh, it, it feels like a really weird smoke and mirrors game that I, we, we, we talked about this amongst ourselves earlier off, off air earlier in the day when this was going on. It feels like, I, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It's putting me through an absolute cheese grater and Taking one of them alone, okay, they're doing the opposite. Oh, they leaked that Ronnie Stanley's health is great. Oh, that means that they do want a tackle, and maybe Ronnie Stanley's health isn't where they want it to be, and they do want to go get a Trevor Penning. Then also Jeff's rebat coming out and saying, oh, the Ravens love Trevor Penning that to me says that they want someone to go trade up ahead of them and pick Trevor Penning as well. So again, smoke and mirrors. I feel like I'm in a a fun house and I'm not sure what they're trying to do, but they are up to something ultimately.
1: As well connected as Jeff is. Exits are negative. (laughs) All all exits lead to a door you do not want to go through.
0: It could be, it could be. And as
2: well connected as Jeff is and as legit as he is compared to uh, some other people that try to break news in this area with a uh, high pitched whiny voices that annoy the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> guys get used. I mean, people get used left and right. I mean, I was listening to Dan Patrick today a little bit and he was like, listen, I got sources and I've been burned before and I still get burned to this day. And he's like one of the legends of the sports media industry. So it happens. And it could be that the Ravens are having Jeff put it out there, you know, not through Jeff's own intention. It's not that he, you know, has any agenda of his own. Maybe he's being told that and he's putting it out there and it's all being done for a purpose. So for all the people freaking out about Trevor Penning at 14 um, and already kind of consigning themselves to a fate uh, that I don't think is this fate worse, worse than death. than some people are kind of claiming it to be, uh, you know, I'd say just settle down a little bit. And uh, you know, like I always say, we don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, So I guess, I guess that's that on that. Cole, did you have any thoughts on that? Did I kind of run over you there?
1: The the only thing that I would throw out there is, you know, I just, the only thing that surprised me is this team took a lot of flack for the handling of the situation to the point where Eric quite nobly, in my opinion, um, and quite transparently, despite being called, you know, a liar, liar's lunch and blah, 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 came out and said, like, I I, I messed it up. And, you know, we're not going to do that again. We're going to make sure, you know, we have a good situation at tackle. So, it just—it all kind of seemed, but then again, you could just say, "Well, you know, even if he's ready to go, they want to reinforce the position. He has some guard versatility, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera." So, I mean, who knows? But I was just surprised because it definitely seemed to give fans hope. Uh, fans hope, and but at the end of the day, maybe they just don't give a crap. Like you know, they don't really owe a whole lot of uh, explanations to fans. So that's uh, that's kind of where I stand there.
2: Could be, could be. Uh yeah, so I guess that's the uh, that's the news du jour. Um and I guess we can get right into the bracket. So we kind of already went through all the guys, but gentlemen, first we have to seed in the
0: wild cards, the eight seeds. So, Spenny, who's So the- to me, I now that I'm looking at it, we were t- thinking about doing running back and tight end, and I feel like that is just going to get absolutely annihilated by Jordan Davis and Charles Cross. Yeah, definitely. So m- and maybe yeah. we want to slot someone in that's a little bit more relevant what are what are our thoughts there why not
1: trevor penning <laughs> all right
0: let's go. Yeah. For, the, for the sake of the exercise let's throw penning on one um, maybe let's do penning versus davis yep let's not let's not have positions. positions face we're, each we're each gonna other. it's gonna be a quick discussion we would rather have charles cross um, than than trevor penning i think yeah I, I and let's not, not have positions way. face each other in the first you know first round so. And now the other one is a little more, bit more interesting. The players who stand out to me, I would say are probably Loftus for, for sake of exercises. Um, maybe Ebiketti, maybe a Dax Hill or Traylon Burks or I don't know. Does anybody pop
1: off to you guys in in that midst? I like Loftus or Ebiketti. Um, you know, whatever one is, you know, you could go to the consensus ranking as a tiebreaker and say Karloftis. Karloftis feels the most,
2: Karloftis feels the most like linked to me with them. So I'm kind of leaning that way. I don't know about you guys. Dax hill's
1: sneaky though, but yeah. So I'll, I'll leave it up to you guys.
2: Okay. Let's, let's do Karloftis. Go for it. All right. So there we have it. So the one seed, Charles Cross versus the eight seed, George Karloftis. The two seed, Jermaine Johnson, two, is a two seed. Funny. Uh, Leo Chanel at seven seed uh, is facing off with him. Kyle Hamilton at three goes against Jamison Williams at six. Andy Booth Jr. at four against Travis Jones at five. Jordan Davis at one. Trevor Penning at eight. Tyler Linderbaum at two versus David Ojabo at seven. Sauce Gardner at three versus Jalen Petrie at six. George Pickens at four versus Devin Lloyd at five. So I guess we can go back up here, gentlemen to Charles Cross versus George Loftus. What are we thinking
0: in that matchup? So the, just talking about Cross first, my OT one, I absolutely love him. And I feel like, you know, it It does just become a situation where what do you do if things go right is the question. So if you're taking Cross, it's because you're fearful that things are not going to turn out for the best. The best-case scenario is kind of that you have two franchise left tackles, one of them highly paid, one of them you invested a pretty high pick in, and maybe there has to be some level of uncertainty of what goes on at right tackle. Ken flipped to that side. He doesn't necessarily project to what the classic right tackle, especially in this type of offense, is. He pro- projects kind of similar, similarly to how Ronnie Stanley did, I would say. Very clean, in-pass pro, in-true vertical sets, athletic, technician, hand usage, everything very clean. So I'm just trying to say what is the downside? It's that what do you do if things go right? The reason you pick him is because you can't mess up your left tackle situation. In my humble opinion, if you have cross, you will have a high-level left tackle no matter what happens, no matter what. So I think that's kind of the duality of looking at that one. Um, Thoughts? beyond that?
1: I would say that makes a ton of sense to me because, um, you know, I still, I think Brandon Thorne made this point on Matt Waldman's pod that I thought was kind of relevant. Um, when Mississippi state was recruiting Charles cross there, they actually ran a gap scheme and then, uh, it's his name. What's their head coach's name? Brought the Mike Leach, sorry. Uh, Mike Leach brings the air raid and obviously Boy. you, you adjust, um, the scheme. So, I mean, he was, there's never a situation where I see him run blocking where I'm like, Oh, he's terrible or he's liability or he's not moving guys. He's, he's physical enough. He's more of a pusher than a mauler, but, um, I've seen him finish guys. I've seen him, you know, he he looked good enough. He moves really well. He moves like a basketball player, which is, uh, absolutely what you want there. So I think, you know, he, he definitely could slide over and play some right tackle, uh, for you, pending his, you know, technique transitioning, blah, blah, blah. Um, the the big thing is, you know, what do you do with Morgan Moses? Is, is are you cool with the swing tackle that you kind of signed for? I would say a good chunk of money, not a lot. Um, I mean, they're paying him five mil AAV. Um, so at, uh, and then on the other hand, it's like, well, given the injury history, it probably makes more sense to invest solid dollars in a bet. Um And Morgan Moses was in the situation last year. He didn't start week one. George Fant and Makai Becton did. Um, Uh, he entered the game when Beckton got hurt week one, Van kicked over to left tackle and they continued on throughout the year. So um, I think in terms of cross as a fit, he can come in, he can play some right tackle for you. If Stanley's healthy, if not, Spenny nailed it. You got, uh, you know, you got your left tackle. You're good to go.
2: Yeah. And I think, um, I think you guys summed it up pretty well. And I guess my only concern is that I think you probably are going to have to trade up at least a little bit, depending on, how far he starts to fall, because it feels like he's kind of a lead pipe lock top 10 type guy. And even if he does start to fall, you got some teams that are going to be in the mix there for him and teams that might trade up in front of you. So I think you're going to have to trade up. And then I, you know, maybe I'm just a little traumatized. I do worry about taking a guy with clear franchise left tackle ability and putting him at right tackle. And then him, you know, maybe having a little bit of an uh, egomaniac trip and saying, I'm a left tackle and going somewhere else. So that's, that's a little bit of a concern for me as well.
0: If he doesn't wear a giant rabbit's tail to games i i don't know if that'll be an issue but a rabbit's foot whatever but i don't know it's it really is uh, i feel like and I, i'm i feel a little bit like uh god i can't think of the right word but i feel vindicated there we go i was very early i think cross is my ot1 i think that the media narrative is caught up to that i think People are overthinking him, overthinking Leach's offense. Cole made a great point, where he comes from, all of those things. It does just ultimately probably put you in a weird spot at some point. But it is it is the safest move you could possibly make, I think, to, to ensure that you don't get burned by the same thing that hurt you. Um, and for the sake of the exercise, you know, I don't know, probably do have to trade up. It feels like he is a top 10 lock, all of those things. So um, with that said, I guess we can flip to the alternative of Carl Loffitz and – to me, Oftis, just Loftus, we've had a ton of discussion on him. I don't think it needs to be too crazy, but he probably has to do everything right all the time to be a high-level player, a Pro Bowl player. He does stay on the field, something I don't think I've talked about, played a ridiculous amount of snaps, and I do think the motor is there. I think he's capable of playing at his 80, his 90, his 95, his 100% frankly, more than maybe any other, maybe Ketty in this class. Um, I think he consistently is buzzing at maximum capacity throughout the game. There's a positive. Hand usage, absolute positive. Uh, plan, positive. Just, mm, just feel like he is in a draft full of a lot of singles and doubles that are possible. You are hitting a single drafting him. You are hitting a, maybe a double drafting him. He's going to be able to get on the field quickly while he is still super young. And is gonna be able to, to work his way into pressure, super smart. And again, my kind of, the thing that keeps me from loving him is explosive pursuit speed a wh- on run plays to the perimeter, on situations where you know a quarterback starts to open up and run away from him, especially in the NFL, especially playing you know a Burrow and a Deshaun Watson now and a Mitch Trubisky and whoever else Pittsburgh factors in and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and all of those things. If he was just a little more of a hunter In space, I think I would be like, okay, I'm cool with that at 14. That's kind of the one weird thing that gives me trepidation. But um, of this class, you know, I think you're getting someone that is going to find the field, is going to play, is going to give you pressure, is going to give you sacks, those things. Just don't know to, to what degree. Doesn't have the length. I don't think he plays with length. And again, guys like Epinesa, guys like Barnett, who maybe didn't quite test, as well as Karloftis, who kind of did an incomplete test. Um, But he did hit 4-7, did hit some good jumps. Uh, The the power rusher is tough to translate and tough to think that you can go beat guys up early. But I feel like the realistic middle 50 outcome of him at the end of his rookie contract is, you know, a a 6-10 to sack guy that can have, you know, a little more pressure than sacks because, again, I think he lacks the ability to finish but stays in the right place, is a, a beloved figure by coaches, and, you know, you hit a single.
2: That's kind of how I'm feeling on it. Uh it just feels like there is a little bit of a lack of a ceiling, but yeah, pop off the line good hand usage. I really like hand power. I really like uh it just kind of feels like a bowling ball a little bit. Um just a little momentum based uh not super not super like kind of quick or at least kind of able to turn on a dime like you would like like you kind of said there. Um and yeah, I mean it's just it's another thing where if you trade back maybe the value is there but at 14 Maybe a little bit of a tougher sell so uh, i'm i'm inclined towards cross in let's say a little bit of a trade up than i am Loftus even in a little bit of a trade down what do you think cole
1: yeah i think that makes sense i think the biggest thing that will inhibit george Loftus is you know he's, he's got a good jab. his jab's going to be his power rush but is he going to be able to add a hook and that's a speed rush and that's why i'm much higher on some of these other edge rushers than i am him i think some other people have you know just as good jabs but they can add hooks and i just don't know if he's going to be able to do that with um the lack of explosiveness and his ability to bend it's just going to be hard to do it and like guys have done it before um and guys haven't done it before and you know it's all going to be that typical power rusher can he put because he does put together a hell of a plan a very wide array of pass rush moves spencer and i talked about it the film room we did on him there's five clips in a row where every, each of the five clips where he's winning a pass rush snap was a different pass rush move. So it's not just a one trick pony uh, like a Jalen Ferguson where he's going to bull rush and, and try and get to the quarterback. It's, he's got a plan. It's just, it's all power rush moves. It's, you know, inside bull rips. It's um, he, likes, you know, he likes to go to the arm over a bit, which can be a quick winner, I think. Yeah. So it's just, can he add that outside rush though? And that's, you know, our team's just going to kind of quick set him play him then on the inside.
0: To, to go on to that is that, you know, you kick him inside some of those things. But again, I I want to love him so much, and there's just
1: missing pieces at the end. He didn't have a long arm, and that's the you got to see that on the inside. Like you watch Josh Pascal, this very similar guy. They're very very similar in their measurements and their profile. And but you watch Pascal, he's got a nasty long arm. He's a great run defender. So I feel like yeah,
0: Everyone's like, you can kick him inside, and it's like, yeah, on third and long only because yes. I think a guard is going to be able to seal him the hell off a lot of the time. And he's going to have to win quickly because of some limitations inside. And that also will, there'll be, I feel like it'll be a reverse bell curve. It's like, it's going to be some beautiful wins and some horrible losses where his gap is completely vacated because he has to win early. doesn't lack the length, but I think, think we don't have to spend too much time further. We can, we can divvy up cross. I think the three of us unanimously kind of go to cross and, and Baltimore sports province. We'll come back to that when we work around, but he said, do you guys, by the concerns of Cross playing in a weird offense at Mississippi State. And I will return to that because my answer is no. We, we touched on it a little, but I think we're ultimately going to be doomed for a very tough Jermaine Johnson, Charles Cross matchup in the second round, as that takes us into the next matchup. Jermaine Johnson, the third, 23 year old Florida State by way of Georgia, the outside linebacker, defensive end, as well as Leo Chanel um, in this class, who, who is pretty funny for the sake of the exercise, but think. We're taking him at 45 versus Johnson in a slight trade-up or a miraculous fall to 14. Um, I am personally, again, feel kind of vindicated late in the process where I have not seen someone light up Mobile like I have seen Jermaine Johnson. I felt that he was a top 10 player immediately after that, going back, watching the tape again, after perusing through the first time and and feeling very high on him. Uh, Now he is supposedly going to possibly go ahead of Kayvon Thibodeau and the Jets really like him at four and how much of that is a smokescreen? We don't know, but, uh, again, him and cross kind of feel a little unlikely to be there at 14.
1: I agree with that. Um, really good summary. Uh, one of those guys where, you know, on the opposite end of Carl Loftus, you know, nasty run defender, one of the better long arms in this, in this class. Um, and I'll build on what I said about Carl Loftus and why I like Jermaine so much is I see a profile, Um, in his traits that shows me a jab and hook and that's always going to be better to develop a more versatile player so very high on Jermaine Johnson he's he looks like he's going to be a stud at the next level
2: yeah he does it really is the length that stands out the most to me uh the length and the bend it just kind of like the you know some guys I think there weirdly is kind of like a negative connotation with the term try hard um it feels like he's trying hard on every play but he has the athleticism to match what doesn't always go with the stigma of that term so yeah I like him a lot um maybe it would be a slight trade up maybe it would be at 14 feels like more so than cross this is a guy that could be had at 14 so I like the realism there uh and I definitely do like him over Chanel in the second round if I had to like choose between those scenarios but uh, Chanel another guy that I do like and spend I know you like him a lot as well
0: Yeah, uh, Schnall is a freaking bull in a china shop. He has really short arms, but you don't ever feel that part of his game. Um, Tested incredibly well, like beyond even I think Cole and I, like we're like, okay, yeah, he's going to test better than people think. We would heard some rumblings, and then he he blew it up even further than that. Tested like an absolute freak. Um, Ends up being a player that you, you basically know can come downhill for you and come make noise between the tackles. He can run sideline to sideline a little bit. He just, you know, it's like your your joystick is broken and you can't make him backpedal in Madden. You can't flip the joystick up north. Uh, so we don't know what we're going to get there. There has to be a lot of development there. There has to be curiosity. Uh, again, we're talking about him at 45 as a player that we like and that the audience also really likes. So would you rather have Jermaine Johnson at 14 or Leo Chennault at 45? You know, I could talk about Chenal for a while, but the answer for me is going to be Jermaine Johnson um, up there. But Chenal is going to give you an absolute wrecking ball on the first two downs. And the upside, the athleticism, it, it kind of reminds you of maybe a DeMario Davis, where it takes him a while. If he works hard enough and sticks with it, he can become a factor on third down and in the pass game for you. Uh, and I just love what Jim Leonard does with linebackers, turning them into heat-seeking missiles. I love Zach Orr last year; he was like five foot pounds, Crystal. and this one is six foot four, two hundred and fifty-five pounds, and just just wreck shop. So, Chenault, super fun player, um, wouldn't hate that at forty-five at all if if they ended up with Mister Chenault.
1: Chenault makes a ton of sense. It's just like. Makes me feel sad about Malik Harrison because similar type of guy. Not, I, I think Chanel's probably the higher level prospect. He's like the caffeinated um, version. He's just more urgent. Yeah, and I mean, he made Tyler Linderbaum his daddy, which was fun for me to watch because it helped me prove my Tyler Linderbaum point. So shout out, Leo.
2: <laughs>
1: no spoilers.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that uh, that settles it there. Uh, well, and we'll talk about that, like I said, later. So that uh, sounds like it is going to be Jermaine Johnson, is he is he third or second? I thought he was second. He is the Jermaine Johnson, the second. Jermaine Johnson 2, as I call him, the sequel.
0: Jermaine Johnson 2, and he is the two seed, and he moves on. Yeah, exactly. Sequel. Yeah, so
2: we got a one and two, a little, little straightforward, a little stock, as Lars uh, Lars Ulrich would say, uh, with Charles Cross at one and Jermaine Johnson at two, head to head. That moves us on to... A little bit more of an intriguing one with three and six with Kyle Hamilton at three, Jamison Williams at six. What are your first thoughts on that one, Cole?
1: I love Kyle Hamilton. Um think I I, I I want I don't want to sit here and say I've watched a bunch of games. I watched two and I you know the range concerns, this long speed, I'm just not concerned about it. It doesn't really show up. Um, you know, it, I guess the the key conversation here is gonna be, you know, do you want to spend a top five you know, for free agency contract at safety, and then also go draft Kyle Hamilton at fourteen. And I guess I would just point folks to some of what the Buffalo Bills defense has done, having hide uh, and Poyer, and what they've been able to do for the corners. They've obviously they have Darius White, and they've had some uh, some guys kind of develop. But you know, that their safeties do a ton to help out their corners and really make that defense work. Um, so I think that's kind of what you're getting in that type of situation, Hamilton can play a bunch of different roles. So can Chuck Clark. So can Brandon Stevens. It helps you be, um, very, you know, uh, you know, fluid in, in your usage. Kyle Hamilton can maybe match up on some tight ends the way they wanted Jimmy Smith to do It's Then it becomes, you know, do you, do you want that? And, you know, tight ends can kill you in a game. So, um, I think it does make sense. So, I mean, Kyle Hamilton's just such a high level player, true playmaker. He's a ball hawk. Um, He can also step up and make plays in the run game and and lay the wood. So I think he's a pretty complete player.
0: Kyle Hamilton, man, that's, that's your boy, Jake. Yeah, he is my
2: boy. I've been, uh, you know, I've been tracking him for what feels like years at this point. I'm uh, a huge fan of the player. I'm a huge fan of the person range, willingness in the, uh, in the run game, determination in the run game to uh, to be the bigger player, even when he actually always isn't. Uh, And yeah, just, uh, a don't know. It's, hard to call a prospect, a perfect prospect, but he feels as close to that uh, as it can get for me. What are you thinking?
0: I uh, th- just to talk something that clicked with me on speed concerns and like bringing it a hundred all the way around 360 degrees, however you want to call it is if he fails, why, would why does he fail? If he fails, it's not going to be because he physically isn't fast enough. Mm-hmm. It will be because he isn't processing well enough that isn't what's going to hold him back. It will be, I think if he fails, if he's, I think he's very similar to Isaiah Simmons. And I think he has potential to be more effective and have a real home and play on the back end more than Isaiah Simmons. Simmons could still work it out, has all the tools. Maybe they're able to you know, slot him in. Hasn't quite found home yet in the NFL. But Hamilton, I think, has more practical usage. And if he fails, I think it's because you start messing with him too much Don't give him a home to start. I think he should be a freaking safety to start, and then you can build that versatility out. Get him comfortable in his scheme. Get him comfortable in the back end. Go through there. Uh, But I, I think the speed itself is not an issue, and again, he's the opposite of Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown, we say he doesn't have a big catch radius. Well, he actually can run so fucking fast at such high speeds and make such adjustments to the ball that he might be able to get to balls that some bigger guys couldn't do. Couldn't. And at the same time, Hamilton is so tall, so prodigiously wingspan long that he can close a throwing window the same way that a smaller, faster player could with his length. So, again, it's all margin for error and and trying to apply the context there. So Hamilton and and now we can move into Jamison Williams. I think this is a fun argument of luxury picks where it's not need. We value this player. If, if we, you know, if the Ravens take Hamilton, it's because they have a really high grade on him and they're like, screw it, we're taking him. We love this player. We love the grade we have. Jameson Williams would be the same thing. So it turns into what is the follow-up? What is the three-year plan, the four-year plan? How does it affect? Let's say you have Williams with a 6'9 grade and Hamilton with a 6'9 grade. Um, and we can talk about Williams specifically, but I think it sparks an interesting question of, where do we add more value kind of offensive side of the ball pass game or defensive side of the ball pass game into building out what helps us win more um so i i think that's an interesting question and we can we can just get into williams and, and thoughts and and bring it home cole what are your th- first thoughts on uh jameson
1: i mean it's just like uh, i'd like to know a little bit more about the injury piece but we're not going to really know that but uh you know, I, I, again, I haven't watched a ton of receivers. So, but, you know, seems similar to Hollywood, but it kind of makes sense in the fact that I don't think Hollywood's a lock to kind of be here long-term. It just doesn't really seem like that's kind of a lock at this point. So, um, you know, it looks like, you know, what Williams has the big playability. Uh, We saw what the Ravens wanted to do at the start of last year before things kind of, you know, started going South with injuries and you know, the offensive line falling apart and, they want to, and it, it makes sense in the way you know they're using levels concepts. It uses seams to kind of push the ball downfield, and they want to spread you uh, horizontally with you know the run game and, and bring you up to the line of the scrimmage. So more guys, this track field receiving group that EDC has tried to build, um, just another guy to add to it. Um, so you know, I guess the only concern I have with Jamison Williams is. You know, is it another Z slot type body that they kind of keep stacking? Is that kind of the skill set you want to add? Or is he so good that who the hell cares? They'll figure out a way to get him on the field. I think, and, with- you know, maybe that's the case because you could get Bateman at the X, uh, Williams at the slot or at the Z and Williams in the sl- or Hollywood in the slot. And then who gives a shit? Right. So that's kind of, I think, the argument.
2: I think with his his height he's more built to play on the perimeter than Hollywood really ever was. Uh, I think he's at 6 foot 2, right? So I mean that's like
1: pretty just insane. Lean. Yeah, just lean. lean
2: and, you know, tall and kind of gangly. So a guy his size you really don't see that speed and explosive ability a ton. He's a more complete player than I think Hollywood was. He's not just a straight line guy. He's not like a manufactured touches guy. Like I think he's a very legit receiver. Um the health definitely comes into question like we don't, you know, obviously foresee him stepping onto the field for week one, I don't think. So, you know, that's kind of got to be factored in the conversation as well. But you might have to trade up a little bit for Hamilton. Maybe you get lucky and he slides to 14. Williams, the buzz has kind of been all over the place for him. He's been mocked in the top 10. He's been mocked out of the first round entirely. It feels like it's trending more towards the former at this point, but he feels like a more realistic grab at 14. So, Spenny, what are you thinking here with this 3-6 to six matchup?
0: For me, I think... Williams, I'm going to give the nod. I think he, uh, again, it's with medicals not being a question for you. Um, I think that it gives you a lot of flexibility with Hollywood Brown and whatever goes on in the next two years with his contract. Also, I just think it can take this offense nuclear. I think that it is going to change the way defenses are. It limits what a defensive coordinator can do. When you have Bateman and Andrews and Brown and Williams on the field, I think that insurance-wise, if the Ravens were to lose a Bateman or a Hollywood for an extended period of time in the immediate, I think the pass offense struggle struggles severely. I don't think there's someone else you can plug on the outside. I think Williams can throttle down really well. That's kind of my one question. I think his speed will be fine post-ACL. I think he'll be able to come back and hit the top speeds. One of my favorite things he does is throttle down, hit hard breaks. When he's got guys in a full backpedal or with their hips turned, um, can can really s- slice guys that way. I think he's really good after the catch. Don't think he's a one-trick pony. But generally, I just kind of want to lead, in, lean into the offensive side of the football. If I'm going to make the luxury pick, I want to make it on the offensive side of the ball. I want to score more points. I want to give Lamar Jackson everything in the world. Go get a tackle later. Suddenly, you have a nuclear offense And the Ravens typically can figure it out defensively, personnel wise, you know, a modge podge. I think the possibility of maybe trading for an edge defender is is not going to be gone um, throughout the season and and still have some some space to make moves, things of that nature. But do I want to go on the offensive side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball with a luxury pick? To me, it's offensive side of the ball, which gives me the nod a little bit. And knowing that I do have Marcus Williams back there already, um, I do have Chuck Clark. You know, what's the jump? in play from Clark to Hamilton, probably, you know, maybe it's a a good bit a a fair amount, but I think you're just really solidifying what Lamar has. And again, I do really like Williams. Um, Alave is my receiver. One Williams, my receiver two. but I like Williams even more than Olave because of what he can do after the catch, what he can do vertically. And the element that he would bring in this Ravens offense would, would just be sadistic. And then the question is like, Oh, well, what's Greg Roman good. But, He'll probably outlast Greg Roman. I'm pretty confident Jamison Williams, if you draft him, and he is healthy, which would be the reason you draft him because you're very confident he would be healthy. You brought in the dude from the Titans. They love drafting injured players that fall and rehabbing them. There's not pressure on him early. Whatever. You guys get the point. Jamison Williams for me. But there's you two to vote on as well. Cole, what do you think?
1: Well, I'm assuming you're taking Kyle Hamilton. So am I the tiebreaker?
0: Yes. That's why I threw it
1: to you. (laughs) So... Ah, I hate this because I, I see, I see the logic with, with, with Jameson Williams. And I do think Hollywood Brown's future beyond the fifth year option is not a guarantee. I just, I, just, I, I don't think it's a guarantee. So it, it makes sense in that regard. And then you're kind of building that future core around Bateman and, and Jameson Williams. And I think that makes a ton of sense, but I, I just think, I just think Hamilton's a better player. And so um, that's where I'm going to put my, my spot and move Hamilton on. I just think, I just think he's got that. T- like I think he's a top five player in this draft that's going to drop because of uh, the positional value piece. And, you know, I, and I get the positional value piece. I, I really do. I think it's relevant, you know, all this investment in safety, Brandon Stevens, is safety area, there's Washington safety. I hear you, but I just look what the bills have done and what Micah Hyde and Jordan Poirier has been able to do for some of their corners. And I think it's a kind of a recipe to have success. It's amazing what, you know, split safeties too high can do for you. Um, and Kyle Hamilton's ability to come in and also play in the box and man up tight ends. Uh, how many times has Baltimore been burned by tight ends in, in big moments? So I'm going to go with Kyle Hamilton.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. Um, for all the reasons that you mentioned. And he's just, he's my guy. So I kind of had to vote him through. Um, and Williams, I
1: I definitely see the argument as well. Uh, can't go wrong. Like Spencer presented like that. That case was, I, I almost swayed. That was how good it was. So, yeah, no,
2: I mean, I'm, I'm totally with it. I think, um, you already invested a lot of money in a, a top tier safety, uh, for you know free agency, and I, I could totally see the argument that you need to invest more in wide receiver. I've been saying they need to invest more in wide receiver this offseason. I think they can't just kind of let it sit by the wayside. Um, but I think this is a, ultimately a good draft to pick somebody up in the second round if you are determined to do so. And there's you know however many freaking guys that are on the you know proverbial market right now that you could potentially trade for. So there, you're going to have options in that regard, I think. And it's just like if you have a player like this fall. Into your lap, you're gonna do what the Baltimore Ravens do and you're gonna pick them. And uh, yeah, Kyle Hamilton moves on, moving us on to Andy Booth Jr. as the four seed, which definitely is an interesting one. It feels like that should be Trent McDuffie at this point, but with the way that the timing worked out, it worked out. So Andrew Booth is at four versus Travis Jones, the D lineman out of Yukon at five. What do we think looking at this one?
0: Tough. Um booth. Very similar to Marlon Humphrey, I think coming out. Um, not the most. He doesn't. He likes to play press. He's not super handsy, grabby. He's more hip pocket. Stay with you. The ball skills are super prolific. Um, can absolutely go up and get the football. Does locate the ball well. Fight through and and make plays on the ball. Um, a lot of a lot of negativity negativity about. The way that he pursues and comes up and plays aggressively, he's an absolute dog. Uh, I think that leads us to some missed tackles. I think you can live with them a lot of times. I think he he makes them out, saying plays in again. Said it 500 times this draft cycle. Will probably slay, say it another 500 next draft cycle and the year after that and the year after that. But I would rather try to bring a guy back a little bit than have to try to get him to hit. Um, it's it's easier when they have that natural propensity for violence, and I think you can get a little more control more easily in general. Uh, Nikhil here, we got an outlook notification and a slack. Yeah, we're a mess right now, but we're we're deep in the big board. Uh so Booth, you know, transitioning at times at the top of vertical routes, I think struggled a bit. Um, but when you have other corners that you love, you can you can maybe, you know, take him off of that vertical threat that you're worried about a little more. Um, like the player a lot. I think he's gonna be a good corner. And you know, we didn't get any of the measurements or the thresholds or whatever, but I think he would have hit all of them. Uh elite. Five he's a five star. He would have five stars test well. If they have any success in college, five stars test well. I think he runs at least four fours. I think he jumps at least 38 plus, you know, all that stuff. So like the player a lot. Think there's some concerns about um what happens deep against some some top-notch kind of route runners that have vertical speed, things like that. But like Booth a lot.
1: Uh, and I love Travis Jones. He was, he was a film room that I really wanted to do at the senior bowl um, where he wrecked shit. Um, he was just one of those guys that, you know, in the one-on-ones he's he's just tough to block when, when he's going to be able to just kind of forklift you and he doesn't really have to read anything. So he's kind of a one-on-one hero, hero in that regard. Um, so, I, I mean, the thing that really was unique to me about Travis Jones was how fluid he is for such a big guy. And you can specifically see it and have narrow, his base would be in pass rush down, so he wouldn't do it every down. Where he's going to kind of two gap and read as a run defender, but when you know it was third and long or whatever, he would be in that one tech or you know two eye, and he, you could just see how narrow his base would get. And he was so fluid in his first three steps um, and his ability to kind of forklift guys. So I think that's what really intrigues me about him. Uh, you know, much like Jordan Davis is, he can also be a guy that pushes the pocket for you and, uh, you know, is able to go beyond just that one tech run stuffing label. Uh, you know, people talk about his pass rush plan. I actually thought it was pretty well nuanced. Um, you know, I I thought he did a lot of things really well, to be honest. Um, he showed me in that Clemson game, like he had four QB hits in that game. Three of the four came off three different, uh, pass rush moves. He was also getting triple teamed at times. Uh, you know, he actually showed a nasty little swim move. He has really good hand power. Um, and that's really what the uh, intrigue is with him. He's, he's got violent hands, uh, but he's kind of showing hand quickness and that's kind of what gets you excited about as he gets more nuanced and adds things, he's able to, you know, add swipes. He's able to add a bull rip. He's able to add an up and over, um, you know, he, he can put together quite a good plan and he's got the, not just the hand strength and also the hand quickness to, to be able to hand fight on the inside.
2: Whenever you've used the term forklift a couple times in the last couple times we've recorded, and it always reminds me of the butt fumble and Collinsworth's call on that play. (laughs) Never seen this before in my life, Al. You got Vince Wilfork forklifting Brandon Moore and Mark Sanchez running directly into the backside of Brandon Moore. I have never seen anything like this before. Uh, A little bit of a non sequitur there. But uh, yeah, I like Travis Jones a lot uh, as well. Uh, A little bit feels kind (laughs) of... talk about our, our uh, primo position fuck boys it feels like it's going to be kind of you're, you're asking for a meltdown if they pick him even on day two um <laughs> but good player i mean definitely a good player it leans a little bit more into that run stuffing category for me andy booth though kind of a weird fit as well it feels like that's going to need to be a trade down so spenny what, what are you thinking on this matchup in general
0: man um Travis Jones feels like the forgotten man a little bit at times. Checked so many boxes. Kind of reminds me of Muhammad Wilkerson um, coming out years ago. Cole mentioned it. It's just like he's got cinder blocks for hands. I, I remember a tweet. It was from like a random account. It said, everybody thinks they're gangsta until Travis Jones hits you with a club because he has C4 in his hands. He devastates dudes with clubs, has a little bit of lateral quickness. Um, tested insanely well. 9'4 athlete and – had a sub 540, super agile. I just don't, I don't think he has real pursuit speed. I think he did well in a straight line. I don't don't think he can kind of get outside the tackle box and give you issues, but I think, I don't know, this is a tough matchup. I think I'm going to default to you guys, let you guys pick And I think I might take plead the fifth until I'm the third pick here.
1: I think what, what kills me with Jones, if they didn't sign Pierce, I would feel like, say, say this is an area. Smith goes, assigning goes through and they don't go with with Pierce I think I'd feel I'd be like Jones move him on whatever um it would just be a good fit but you know can Travis Jones play a three tech for you with Pierce on the field the way Jordan Davis can I'm not sure I really don't know um and that's kind of what's bugging me it does seem like he's going to play mostly one tech two eye for you and it just seems like a weird fit now he is going to give you that pass rush upside and maybe that's his role early on in his career where he's like kind of a pocket push specialist. Um, but you know, is that what you want? I I don't know. So, I mean, I'm going to lead Andrew Booth jr. I just think the guy plays like a Raven, uh, you know, James Ogden gave him a red star. When James Ogden gives someone the red star, I pay attention. Um, the injury concerns are completely valid, but you know, we don't really know anything about it, but the guy just like is a heat seeking missile when he's willing to take on a a screen poll from Mickey Kwanu with zero reservations that just shows me he's a little bit sick in the head and uh, you know, I'm gonna put my vote to Andy Booth.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna do the same thing. Uh, it just feels like Travis Jones, like you said, would maybe be much more in play if they hadn't signed Pierce, but they did that. They have still a clear need at corner an expressed need at corner with us hearing the the rumblings of them being you know maybe in on the James Bradbury sweepstakes. Uh, you know them sniffing around on corners in round one. I don't know if Booth is going to be around one guy, but like, man, if you could trade up in the top around two and grab him, I would absolutely love that. So, yeah, I like him as well for that uh, pick there. Spengemann, any thoughts on him going through there?
0: Tough, tough matchup. Like both a lot, and both I think are late, late one guys, and elite athletes, and and red star type guys, and all that good stuff. So I'm kind of fine either way. Um, I don't really. I kind of just don't give a shit about Michael Pierce in in that sense. I want to take a really good player. I think he meets a lot of thresholds with Jones, but again, Booth, the ball production, the physicality, uh, the feet are probably his best trait, all of those things. So I, I think you're in a good spot. I think it's a fun debate and I, I like both players
2: speaking of not giving shit about michael pierce we have on the other side of the bracket the one seed in jordan davis going up against the uh recently seeded in eight seed and trevor penning so this is a definitely a little bit little bit of a discussion the fan favorite yeah <laughs> yeah fucking a he puts talk, fans in the same talk, talk about asses in seats and selling tickets.
1: I mean, <laughs> this is like
2: this is number one for me uh Cole, what, what do you think? You're, you're a hog mollies guy. You like the big heavies. What do you he think? He likes those big Spanish? sweaty boys. He does. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. Chamber Penning's tough for me. Um, Cause I, I hate doing this. Cause it's kind of cliche and it's kind of annoying, but I do keep going back. Cause it just makes me laugh. I go back to Land Zeerland's write-up of them and you read the sources tell us section, which is usually filled with shit that doesn't really matter. But I just find it funny that the first line is don't overthink it. And then you get into like a discussion about Trevor Penning and it becomes this insane conversation about, you know, this and that, and you know, no one's really talking about his technique concerns and it just gets kind of exhausting real quick. So, I mean, I, I, I don't love Penning. Um, I think, you know, I think the argument that he didn't dominate FCS competition the way you'd want to see it, um, is is perfectly relevant because those are just lesser football players. It's just that simple. But then you watch him against Will McDonald in that, those Iowa State games, and he shut the door on him, quite frankly. Like he just didn't give up bad plays. Um, you know, he's able to, you know, as Jake would put it, forklift uh, Uzawarke and put him on his butt and, you know, do those kinds of things. Steve Gregory just um,
2: running triumphantly yeah. into the end zone with Sanchez, <laughs> just limbs flailing
1: everywhere. What Black playable I'm pan. You plan. Plan too, man. You need to um, talk more about so, that. <laughs> so I, I just like, the, I, I get that part, and I think I didn't give this enough, an, enough think, and I see Nikhil down here in the comments. So shout out Nikhil because I said this on the pod episode I just recorded with him, and it, it didn't really click in my head until this, but I, I just like, why did Spencer Brown, who was, you know, similar guy on tape similar athlete because he was a way a, better
0: athlete you know. they both yeah. test really well but brown is a way better athlete
1: on tape yes i agree but like stupid measurements you know he's got like the the freaky arms and the height and all that shit why was he a third rounder end of third rounder almost a fourth in a, in
0: a shallow tackle draft
1: it, it just it i don't know why it took me until april 25th to think of this, but it just really doesn't line up in my head. So that's what's starting to really bug me. And I don't know if that's a stupid way of looking at it, but I guess I just don't get kind of the, the, the the disconnect there. Um, and then you look at Jordan Davis, who is a unicorn, like he's, there's just not guys that size that move the way he does. Um, the, the key question with Jordan Davis, and this is the question that I'm sure we're going to get into in the later rounds here. Um, how, how is he going to manage his weight? And I heard someone on a space today be like, you know, once he's in an NFL, I mean, he was at the university of Georgia for God's sake. Like they probably have more resources than the Baltimore Ravens do. Like, it's just like, if he wanted to maintain with a nutritionist and Kirby smart, will find him someone that could tell him to eat salad. Like it's not that big of an issue. It's anytime you're talking about weight management issues, it comes down to you know, does he want to have a bowl of ice cream before bed while he watches the Gilmore girls? Like, I just don't know. Um, like, so uh, that's the risk to me. Like, I, I, I know it's cliche, but like, he's gotta be able to come in as a 14th overall pick and be a three down player. And, you know, let's use the two minute drill, um, tiebreaker. Cause I think it's a really good exercise when you're having a debate. Is Jordan Davis going to give you impact players in a two-minute drill to close the di- close a you know a game? Is he going to have to come off the field? Are you taking a timeout so you know he can get a get a? Are coaches a going
0: staff? to go into no huddle to trap him on the field?
1: I don't think in the NFL that's I'd a be good, surprised. I think that's a
0: good question to ask:
1: Like, would they do that against anyone? Like, do you see that happen against like a guy like uh, who's the who's the nose with the most production for sacks in the last? He was Larry Ogunjobi. So like Ogunjobi's like, he's, he's in like good, better shape, you know, theoretically, but you don't really see them go no huddle to like screw up the nose tackle or like the three tech, you know, it's, you don't really see that too often. If they're going no huddle, it's for different reasons. So I don't know about that. I, you clearly saw Bama do it um, against Jordan Davis. That that was obvious. Um, I think what would have given me more comfort and again, Maybe there's a stupid way of looking at it. You guys tell me. If he would have came to his pro day and weighed 325, 330, I think I would have felt way better, but just staying at 340 throughout the whole offseason, it's like now that, you know, once he gets drafted and he's got a couple months, you know, what's he going to come into camp at? Like I, I don't know, it, it bugged me for some reason. I think it's kind of a stupid reason, but it bugged me.
0: So interior defensive linemen can become 100 million dollar players too if they if they stand out as an all-pro. You know, they can really cash in. So if that's what you want to do, and and to that point, you know, getting into semantics quite a bit, but if he's steady at 340, I kind of like that. I like if you can can show that you can stay at a reasonable weight and he's not, you know, ballooning up to 365, 370 at some point. But I just see Jordan Davis as an alien. I see Jordan Davis as a player that has technical skill quickly, um, draft aliens and prosper. And maybe there is some, you know, some truth. The other aspect of it that I think is weird is that College teams like the the college has more plays in a game. The average college game has more plays. The average SEC game has more plays than an NFL game. Uh, so ideally, you our
1: st- clock, stops on, games, downs, right? Right? clock yeah. stops on first downs. That's the rule. Clock stops on first downs.
0: Plus, yeah, yes, yeah. and they're it resets once they set the, the ball. Pace. But a lot more college teams are using consistent tempo. They go to the line, look for the play, they fake snap, go to the, you know get the play from the sideline, go again. Uh, so the the time between plays is shorter. All of that. But usually, you know, your 14th overall pick, your player that you're drafting is, you know, kind of a cornerstone franchise player, doesn't have to come off the field a ton relative. The best defensive lineman, interior defensive lineman, the best nose tackles play 70 to 80% of snaps. Um, So if he can consistently give you a high level over 60%, I don't think it's an issue, which means playing 30, 35, 38 snaps a game maybe. Um, He did that in 2020. And he got better in 2021 when he played less snaps. I think that would be the same for a lot of bigger boys, but just, just, I don't know. It's weird. It's a difficult projection. It feels like um, if he wants to, keep, he has all the potential in the world to keep his weight down, be an elite player. You ask him to penetrate a little bit more at certain times. I think he can absolutely bring it as a pass rusher. Think he can absolutely hunt down a quarterback. And in the immediate, you don't have to play him every play. You do have Clay Campbell. You do have Derek Wolf. You do have Justin Matabike. You do have Michael Pierce. So all of a sudden you're very deep in the immediate and you can kind of gauge what he's going to be year two, year three, you know, what are you getting? Is he the guy that keeps his weight down? All of those things. But to me, I, of this entire draft class, he might be the most special player when it's all said and done five years from now, he has all of the traits and the athleticism and the technical prowess inside to end up being the guy that was like, wow, Jordan Davis was the headliner of that class. Um, I love betting on athletes, especially in terms of the pass rushers and defensive linemen. So I, I like Jordan Davis a lot. I see the risk in ways. But I also, from what I've heard from the outside, just he is the light of the room in every room he's in. He is the light of the locker room. He is the shining star that everybody wants to be around and work with and everything like that. So sounds like you're getting a grade A person. Keep the weight down. Hit it out of the park. Do you think he speaks
2: in the Gilmore Girls cadence? They talk pretty fast
0: on that show.
1: They talk so fast, but they talk so true.
2: Cole, what is your argument for Trevor Penning in this scenario?
1: That was my oh, Gilmore. Uh, the Trevor Penning argument is 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 the ultimate insurance at left tackle. It's you know that this is the we don't want to end up in a situation like last year. So we're going to go draft a guy that we think this is debatable can start week one at left tackle if we need them. And if Stanley gets right, we can play on that guard and, you know, vis-a-vis the conversation we had about cross long-term right tackle. And it becomes, you know, your, your best five on the field. Right. So it's, you know, or is your best five pushing Morgan Moses the way it is with cross or is it putting Trevor Penning in at left guard? Um, You know, he played right guard in 2019 Uh, he does have leverage issues that might be a problem, but you know, they would have done their due diligence on that issue. They would have worked out this scenario. So the argument is it's your ultimate insurance at the left tackle spot. They just want to make sure that they've checked that box. They've solved the issue. EDC vowed to, you know, make sure they don't screw that up again. So they're going to take the highest rated tackle on their board at 14 and say it was a good case, but it's a
2: case.
0: (laughs) So I guess it's voting time. Okay, me, give me, give me, JD. I just love JD. I see the light of Penning. I do think year two, year three, Penning can become a pretty high level player. Uh, Ryan Ramchek type at right tackle isn't entirely unrealistic. I I like Garrett Bowles as a comp for him in terms of needing some development, having you know a nasty attitude, being a very hard worker. Um, I, I think he could become a, a Pro Bowl left tackle, but. I have Ronnie Stanley that clouds everything. And this is a deep tackle class. I don't have a higher grade on him than Jordan Davis. I do view Jordan Davis as a potential cornerstone player. So give me JD. Cole.
1: I agree. No, well said. I won't, I won't repeat draft unicorns of prosper. I am with you gentlemen on that. Not that it matters. I
0: very upset in the comments because he wanted to see a Linderbaum penning matchup in round
1: two. (laughs) I would have chucked my headphones.
0: Yeah, that would have been, that would
2: have been sick. Um, but yeah, it's Jordan Davis going through in that matchup. So speaking of which, Nikhil, you're either going to see Linderbaum, Tyler Linderbaum, the two seed or David Ojabo, the seventh seed Uh, Ojabo probably would have been much, much higher if not for the Achilles injury. He's probably looking to be a day two pick now. Uh, and then Linderbaum been linked to the Ravens a lot, but, uh, there's some questions about fit and, uh, you know, Cole, I, I know that you have a lot of them. So I'll let you start with your thoughts on Linderbaum.
1: I want to I want to refer to because I I think it was a re- it, it had some nuggets in it that I had never thought about. So Brandon Thorne did that O line preview episode with Matt Waldman that went super in depth. And so they talked about Linderbaum for a good chunk. And uh, O line masterminds was founded by Duke and Lane Johnson, so Eagles right tackle. So he pulled this nugget from that kind of connection, and he said, you know, that he's talking about, and I mean the most common comparison for Linderbaum is Jason Kelsey. Um, which makes a ton of sense undersized zone elite run blocker that, you know, is it good enough pass block pretty good pass blocker, but he talked about how the Eagle scheme had to adjust to Kelsey um, against bigger defensive linemen. So what he, what they used to do is they would ask their tackles, which was Lane Johnson, Jason Peters, good guys to ask to do this to play on islands a lot. So that Brooks and whoever the right guard was could give help to Kelsey on the inside, because just like Linderbaum, he's going to win with, elite hand placement a good punch and leverage and you know he is very good in that regard in pass protection but when you're 6 to th- and I know he's beefed up to like 303 but how much was that him trying to, to you know check a box for the draft process is he going to play at 290 like he did in Iowa um, why wouldn't he so you know you're giving him help in the past game that you're kind of designing your scheme around that he feels that the NFL team, he ends up on wherever it be, will probably do something similar where you're consistently giving help to him. And you hear O-line coaches say it all the time. You can hide a center, you can't hide a tackle. Um, so that's kind of number one. And then number two, It just comes down to the, so that's the pass game. So it's like the pass game, he's going to fit just fine. He's going to play with great leverage. He's not going to get, you know, bullied too much because he's a tough ass competitive kid. Uh, Pinterest and worse famously in a high school wrestling match. We'd love to see it. Um, But then in the run game, what he does best and what he was absolutely elite as was getting out in space every single when you pull up the Tyler Linderbaum draft profile it's him outside zone blocking and outside zone blocking and he's reaching he's reaching outside linebackers on their play side shoulder which is absolutely freaky for a center he's doing things where he's pulling behind the other guard and it's not even like a pin and pull play like he's just that freakish of an athlete he's going to do that eight times six times a game in Baltimore um, they just don't run enough outside zone to put him in his full strength. So not only are you going to give him a little bit of extra help in the pass game, but now he doesn't fit the run game scheme. Uh, so, you know, it's just what the hell are we doing here? It's like we drafted a kid at 14 that we have to help a little in the past game. We have to alter our play calling for that's a lot to ask for someone when, you know, you can just draft someone else later that maybe you don't have to do all that for. So, um, you know, Spencer and I did the film room. We isolated those. Leo Chanel made him his daddy. Um, it was very, very well detailed. He literally could not drive block him off the line of scrimmage. And, you know, he is pound for pound the strongest player in the draft. But, you know, when he starts seeing these one text in the NFL, uh, you know, Spencer said it best himself, put him against Jordan Davis. What's going to happen? Um, those are the types of freaks he's going to see at the next level.
2: And for me, like the, this particular matchup, I think is really intriguing and it comes down to, do you want Linderbaum at 14 or do you want to take a flyer? Not even really a flyer, just like a, 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 he's going to miss some time tax with Ojabo on day two. I like, I love David Ojabo as a prospect, and I'm totally fine with that idea. I think, you know, with the way that these injuries work out, as long as you get the correct amount of recovery time and, the Ravens, I think, will do a good job in that regard if they pick him on day two. Like, I like David Ojabo on day two way more than I like sticking and picking Linderbaum at fourteen.
0: I would like to say the thought that has entered my brain is that David Ojabo might might have like slightly ruined the Ravens' fourteenth overall pick. hundred percent. He was healthy, bang on.
1: Hundred percent
0: healthy. There are now five highly highly regarded highly. And, and going back to Ojabo's tape, some of the most special pass, probably the most special individual reps, and it wasn't like there weren't many of them, were Ojabo. He does something so special with the way he ties his, his limbs together as pistons and works in unison to be able to work inside, outside. He can dip and rip. He can win inside. Somewhat similarly to like an Ngakwe, You didn't see the long arm bull as, as something that would probably translate to the NFL, but can win the inside track, win the outside track. He has speed in pursuit, could drop into coverage effectively, flip his hips, do all those things. So then all of a sudden you're definitely comfortable to get one of Johnson or Thibodeau or Walker or Hutchinson or, you know, any of those guys. So the best thing that Ojabo could do to repay the Ravens would to be their 45th overall pick. And maybe if, This would be a really weird draft. We were just talking about penning. If you get penning at 14 and Ojabo at 45 and you're confident in the Achilles, that could end up being a really dynamite first two picks. And it would be super volatile. But I love the value of Ojabo at 45. Um, Achilles... It would be a shit
1: show. (laughs) They would be not happy.
0: The value of getting someone as Achilles injuries have just hopefully turned the corner in modern science into not being as... Uh, career ending as they used to be. I think Cam Akers maybe gives us a little bit too much confidence in that, but from what I read, the procedure is updated and there is something new that they think is a a real breakthrough. I don't have to get into all of that, but it was in an article by Jordan Rodriguez on the athletic. If you search Jordan Rodriguez, Cam Akers, you can find that article where they get into the details, but um, Ojabo at 45 is awesome. I think it would be incredible if that were to happen. If he were to slide, and again, you bring in uh, Adrian Dixon. Yes, Is that the new Adrian Dixon from the Titans. Again, you know you're as a franchise comfortable with that. You suddenly have two edge rushers coming off of an Achilles, but um, I, I really do love Ojabo. Mike McDonald knows him very well. You think you have a plan? There's comfortability there. Um, all of those things, and and pairing him in Oa would be fantastic as well as having Bowser and maybe even throwing then, then go throw another pick at a third or fourth round guy like an Alex Wright or something. Um And, and really could prosper into a blossoming pass rush. Potentially there is the risk involved. Um, like Cole said, you know, maybe we overanalyze with Linderbaum, the extent of the scheme fit and if it could change in the coming years in a new, under a new offensive coordinator that feels likely in the next, you know, two years probably. So you can hide a center, all of those things, but um, I just uh, it just doesn't get me horny in the first round. Considering Creed Humphrey coming in last year, being universally acceptable in any scheme, um, you know Humphrey can survive in a in a pure zone scheme, in my opinion. Was an elite athlete as well, so I don't know. I, I think I do love Ojabo at forty five here, but there's just a ton of risk.
1: I think Ojabo to me was like a human experiment on the edge. Like, there was a play where he did like a double spin, and I was like, What the fuck's he doing? Like, he, did he just have a seizure during his pass rush move? Tasmanian um, devil shit that he does. Like, it's, it's, it's so and, like, fun. it's just, but it excites me because it's like this kid wants to he's just trying things. And he said it himself. He's like, I was on the practice of the, their their scout team. And he was like, I'd watch Quiddy pay and I'd watch, you know, all these guys ahead of me and just try and learn and and get out there and, and do it myself. And so my
0: favorite thing about him maybe is that he was the scout team player of the year at Michigan. (laughs) I think in either 2019 or 2020, what does that mean that he doesn't care? He's not playing. He's bringing it in practice. He's working his tail off. And apparently he was just like, Aiden Hutchinson's shadow this entire past year, figuring out how to be, you know, the Aiden Hutchinson comes from a father that was a Michigan legend and all that stuff and knows the lay of the land. And Ojabo was smart enough to be like, I should do what he does, but I have a little bit more of an, you know, exciting skill set and what he can do bending and all of those things. So uh, we have to, with these injured players like Jamison Williams and Ojabo, we have to look at it and say, if they're taking him, they're confident in his medicals. Otherwise, you know, not going to be the pick. So we're, we're going on the glass half full here, injury wise with both of those situations. Uh, But for me, I, and, and Nikhil here, here's a question. Would you trade up from 45 for Ojabo? I'm going to go with, yeah, I'm going to go with, yeah. Uh, I think it would be cheap. I think it would be exciting. And I think it would be funny to have two edge rushers with coming off of an Achilles. It would be a classic Ravens Twitter like, ha ha ha. But I absolutely would. We would go up for Ebiketti. I know that. And I would. Ha- I have a higher grade on Ojabo than I do on Ebiketti, and we're assuming the best health-wise.
1: Yeah, And I, mean, I don't think you can underrate how sweet Nigerian Nightmare is with Owe, Ojabo, and Nibike. So I'm also here for the brand. And they're going to, yep. I mean, like this is,
2: you know, it's been said, but they're going to have the full scouting report, at least one year's worth of one, and a presumed connection. I'm, I assume he and McDonald probably text a little bit, so – you know, you know, he's probably gonna be telling McDonald that he's healthy and ready to go, and their medical team is gonna be looking into it all, obviously. But I don't know. It just feels like the way these injuries the are- only
1: thing we need to have out there is Rashid Walker did absolutely own his shit. And so Rasheed Walker, I have to stand up. Rashid Walker should probably be in the bracket. Um but did the best
0: of any. I think I watched seven games of Ajabo and his toughest opponent was certainly Rashid Walker. Well, either way, I mean that's him.
2: Whipping up on Tyler Linderbaum there, who was a two seed and he was a seven. So I think that was our first upset of the night and uh, a pretty significant one there with David Ojabo, a seven seed over Linderbaum, a two. So that moves us up to Sauce Gardner and the Petri dish, Jalen Petri. Uh, a six seed with Gardner as a three. Gardner a weird one. He was the guy, you know, As soon as the process started, everyone was a little bit of a cool name bias, a little bit of this guy's going to be there at 14. Jake hates his name. You hate his name. It's
1: just like, come on. Saucer Smoke should be the final. Right.
2: Yeah. It's just like, uh, guess what? Guess what's a cooler name than Sauce Gardner? Petrie. Because he's got the land before time connection. But Sauce Gardner is a weird one because you're probably going to have to trade up. Petrie feels like a trade back end of the first round scenario. So Spenjamin. Jake, what's the
1: worst name? Kyrie Elam or Sauce Gardner?
2: What's a worse name? Yeah. Kyrie Elam is a great
1: name. Are you scared of the Elam last No, I'm
2: day? not. Listen, I... And the I can, stench of his uncle. I can look <laughs> past those things. I'm not the New York Jets who's going to pass on... Uh, uh, who was it? Um, William Golston because of Vernon Golston. That's not me.
1: What a joke.
2: Okay. But, Spen, you're a big Petrie guy. And uh, I know you like Gardner, you know, as well. But uh, there, there are some value discussions to be had here.
0: So... The Ravens won't be getting Gardner at 14 um of anyone in this class. Johnson, I guess, Cross, Hamilton. I think he's the one that's least likely. Uh I think it's a 0% chance that he's there at 14 barring a gas mask. So with we that in mind, arranged. let's let's say what is it? What does it take to get Gardner? Probably your second round pick and a fourth round pick. I would say to go get Gardner. Um, so you are saying we are going to now have Marlon Humphrey and sauce Gardner. And in the short term, at least we have Marcus Peters. We also have Brandon Stevens back there. Um, we want, we value Gardner. If there's a team that's horned up for Gardner in this league, maybe only second, maybe to the Seattle Seahawks, it's the Baltimore Ravens. He has insane length. He plays with an edge. He has ball skills. Um, I think he's a weird tackler, but he kind of puts off the, he's kind of similar to Marcus Peters. He like wants to smoke, but isn't like a good form tackler. Like he wants to run up and throw you on the ground, but it's weird and he's really lanky, like a pterodactyl. Um, so Gardner, I have Stingley as cornerback one still. Gardner is, is neck and neck there, but you have to trade up to get it. So this one was a little funky. Um, like you said, Jake, you know, he started early with corners. It felt like it might be a possibility and now it feels like a closed door. Uh, But with Petrie, I've said it, we talked about it when we did the episode. It's like somewhere between Elijah Molden and Honey Badger. And that's going to be a damn good football player. And it could be at 45. It could be a trade back from 45. It could be a trade up from 76. I think he's instantly starting. He's instantly your starting slot corner. He is going to bring it nonstop. He's a football maniac. He tested well. He wasn't as small as people thought. He processes everything better than anyone. He fights tight ends to the death with like, will get penalties happily fighting tight ends to ruin their Sunday. Um, so love Petrie highest level run defending DB ever that I've ever seen. I think um, can corner on a tackle as a pass rusher, like knows how to swipe hands and turn and go hit a quarterback can do anything. Red star player for me. Love him. Love him. Love him. Awesome slot corner safety stuff. I think is a little projected. I think he can go play some safety, do some things for you, but you don't need him to because you have Chuck Clark, you have Marcus Williams, you have Brandon Stevens. So you can pick his best spot. You don't need to put him anywhere where he's uncomfortable. Uh, I do. I don't know that he's going to go be a man slot corner against a high level slot receiver and be able to win in and out of a two-way go with routes. I don't know that that's his best usage. I think he's a little better against the running backs, tight ends, being in the box, blitzing, being a weapon more so. Uh, So I think his weak spot would be man coverage on jitterbug slot receivers. So uh, love him in every other aspect. And I think he's going to be incredible value wherever he goes. I I think 45 would be towards the beginning of where he goes.
2: What do you think about this matchup, Mr. Cole?
1: Oh, it's a tough one because, like, I, I know we want we had to include Sauce, but I just feel like he ain't getting out of the top seven, right? Like, it yeah, just feels like, and impossible. I don't, I don't think they're
0: trading up for him either.
1: I almost feel like this is the Quay Walker last night of cheating, um, right? So that I, I don't know. I'll, I'll leave it up to you, our listeners
0: huh? who didn't watch Cole's mock, basically. We did a, th- a live mock with 32 users. Quay Walker was like 140th on the board. No one knew he was there. Everyone forgot about him. And we could have taken him with the 98th pick. And we were like, this is cheating. He won't be there with the 98th pick. We're men he of
1: integrity. Cheated. I I am nothing but my morals. Um, so, you know, obviously Sauce Gardner is the better player, you know, pound for pound. Um, but then it's, you know, to be more realistic, it's you're trading significant draft capital, let's just say to move up for a fallen sauce gardener, let's say at eight, and you're giving up your thirds or, you know, a second and a fourth or something like that. I Versus, feel like be honest, we
0: should have put, we should have replaced sauce with Stingley in this bracket.
1: That could have been fair. Yeah. Um, Cause Stingley could fall because of the injury piece. But I, I, what, what, what I like about Petrie is the slot corner ability and how it fills out the rest of your DB group. And then, you know, maybe, you get another developmental guy who can come on if you want to put um, uh, Humphrey in the slot for certain looks and that still allows you to put Petrie in the slot or you bring him off and then you put Marlon in the slot and you can get a little bit creative with it. Right. So it kind of comes down to um, plus they could go with heavier dime looks and maybe he's that, you know, DB or, you know, dime DB or whatever you want to call it, where he's going to do some other other pieces in that in that defense. So I think he's got a little bit of versatility to him, despite being a better fit as a slot. But if they want to play more dime looks, which may make sense with, you know, the lack of coverage linebackers in the nickel, um, you know, I think that could make sense. So um, I'll leave it to you guys, how you want to do it. Um, Gardner feels like cheating, but I understand, uh, you know, the, uh, if we're factoring in a trade up, versus taking Petrie at 45 and then it's a value discussion.
2: Yeah, I I don't know. I think, like, they you know, they, they could do it, but it just feels like the value isn't there for me. Like, you can probably get a decent corner like a Petrie on a day two with a trade-up, not necessarily him or one of the other, like, safety tweener types um, with a trade-up from 45. Uh, and, I, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of feels like they they've got the big long corner in Peters right now uh marlon obviously brings some physicality in that element so petrie would bring something a little bit different i kind of like him in the spot value wise i don't know about y'all
0: i think we kind of have to kick him out for the sake of the exercise i think so so are we going with sauce i i meant i must have misheard i meant we have to kick Sauce.
1: Yeah, I was kicking sauce. Out yeah, yeah, 100%. Because we're men of integrity 2 days in a row and that doesn't happen often. We are, I yeah. mean, I listen,
2: guys, we talked about this last night with Walker, guys fall. He can fall. It's I, true. I,
1: he and can who fall the to hell knows cuz I mean there there are some concerns with sauce. Like it's not like I don't think he's as perfect as he's been presented by some folks in the draft community.
0: Listen. He is a perfect fit for a, a team that loves press man we'll give we'll give that we might on the actual poll have to put stingley in 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 place of sauce because i feel like sauce easily clicks through this yeah yeah
2: it could be it could be it also but like the the people a lot a lot of the people that are voting on those things don't listen because they'll be like oh you didn't include this person it's like no dude listen to the fucking podcast we just talked about it (laughs) for an hour like and like that's fine. Like that's totally okay, but like at the same time. Sauce
1: brings out the beast in Jake. <laughs> it,
2: yeah, it's just like, come on. Like, I, I don't know. We don't have to get into it. Um last matchup of the first round. George Thickens at four versus Devin Lloyd, the fifth
0: seed. This is a this is a kind of an interesting one. That's <sighs> a
1: tough one. I, I don't like
0: it.
1: I like it, but I don't.
0: This this I would say of the first round, this and the Booth Jones are are. Probably the most fun exercises to have out. Um, I think Hamilton
1: Williams was good. I, I got to give that because that been, one was you, Your summary of luxury on overs D was a really good frame. So well, well done.
0: Well, we're going there a little bit, but I feel like this is different because you're not taking Pickens at 14. We're going to call it 45 plus, meaning 45 or a trade up, and Lloyd is like 50% taking him at 14 50% you trade yeah. back and then take him. Um so so whatever and and hey some people have Pickens really high. Some people do have Pickens higher than Lloyd on their draft board. To me, I'm going to start with Lloyd. I am so intrigued by his versatility as a pass rusher and what he can do as a ninja with his hands and engaging with blockers as a pass rusher. I just don't love tampering with inside linebackers into hybrid roles when they're young in the NFL. I think it puts them into a gray area that leads to them not feeling super confident in their reads as an inside linebacker and not having enough technical development on the edge. I think Parsons was a 99th percentile athlete who came from a hybrid role and is the anomaly, not the norm. Um, Lloyd I like I would like Lloyd He would be my linebacker one If he would take on blocks in the run game With better block deconstruction With more pop in his hands He can beat blockers He does process well I like Quay Walker as linebacker one um, In this class as things stand Well, things stand the draft So Quay Walker is my linebacker one But Lloyd It also is tough for me Because I feel like I've watched linebackers Process the the heavy two man concepts in college very well. And Lloyd might be the best to do that in the last couple of years in terms of diagnosing, clicking, and closing, a la Bobby Wagner. But it keeps not jumping to the NFL. I feel like I've been wrong on it over and over and over again, where Devin Bush I thought was going to do it and he didn't. And I thought Patrick Queen did it at a really high level at LSU. And the snaps weren't there, whatever. There's been a huge learning curve for him. Um, even Jordan Brook, like all of these guys. And Lloyd might be the best. I just feel like I'm trying to train myself to to be better or whatever. And so I think I'm going to take that with a grain of salt. I do like Lloyd a lot. I think he's a starting linebacker. I think he's a successful player. Um, process as well. Can give you pass rush. Uh, you know, not the most thumping dude as a tackler or taking on blocks. But Really just knows how to put himself in the right spot, does a lot of things really well. I know Denard and Mike Crawford love him very much so, um, and I see a lot of those things. I just feel like he wasn't a 99th percentile athlete, and I'm worried about trying to put him in a hybrid role. I would like him to take on blocks better.
2: Yeah, I I don't know. You you said it well and I'm just not into an off-ball linebacker. So I'm just going to say it right now, I'm going to be voting for uh, Pickens here.
1: I love Pickens. Um if you're going with a wide receiver, I think it's really important to either have like an elite skill set like James Williams, like I, though I don't think he's going to fit my opinion that I'm about to give that I still see the value in it. Um but George Pickens just brings something, you know, different to the party, you know. You got to the boys with the beers and there's some guys with some whiskey and he's going to come in with uh we'll call it the pina coladas. Cause that sounds like something George Pickens would do. And he just brings something new to the party. Um, Big body, physical. Uh, You know, I think Spencer said it a million times. He's sick in the head. He, j- he just is, Um, you know, character concerns, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, we can't say on one hand, we have a true players coach and a guy like John Harbaugh and then be like, well, we can't, you know, we're scared of this guy. Um, I just I, I don't really think there's anything out there that makes me that nervous with Pickens. Um, maybe you don't want him in a volatile Urban Meyer-led uh, locker room, but I think in Baltimore he's going to be just fine. Um, so I would go with Pickens because I just think he's a different skill set. He's going to be a physical, big body, a guy that also can push. You know, push the tempo downfield fits into kind of what they want to do. Um, he's going to also block his ass off. He's going to do. I think he comes in and is what you wanted in miles Boykin and a guy that is just a true X, you know, a true outside, whatever you want to call it, whether you want to narrow it down to X or not, whatever it may be. Um, but he's going to compliment Bateman and Hollywood and what they do. Well,
2: Spin, what do you think?
1: Pickens is, I I like
0: that. Pickens is like boy or excuse me, like Boykin. If Boykin had the dog in him, he's miles mankin. Miles Mankin and Pickens doesn't just have the dog in him. He is the dog. He is sick in the head. It is volatile and he could fall. He has ACL with him. Um, He wants to block his tail off. He's good after the catch. He possesses true X traits. He is that power forward vertical threat fighting for the ball. He has the best hands in this class. He makes insane body control adjustments to the ball. He's a red zone weapon. Um, He loved playing in a dumbed down Georgia run first offense and he fucking loved it and talks highly of it. And the effort was there. He was stealing releases on the eighth straight run play with a lead. He was blocking to hurt people with a lead. He wants to dominate his opponent. He doesn't care. feels like he buys into the team, but he also buys into like, he has like some AB in his head in a, in like a in like a weird way. I don't know. I don't think it's off the field. I don't know. There's some weird stuff. Pickens could go at the 20th pick or the 70th pick, and it wouldn't surprise me. Um,
1: Either or. There's Who's a- going to take that risk and when?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff, but I do ultimately love him. He does have outstanding hands. He can threaten over top. Uh, he is still getting the hang of being a nuanced guy, breaking on the, you know, being able to break in and out of his routes a little bit, but think he has a good understanding for variations in coverage. He's very confident, has the confidence that I want in a receiver. Um, So I I like Pickens. I think we all like Pickens a lot. I think all Ravens fans like Pickens and do want to see a dog in the offense that wants to fight on the offensive line or somewhere or something. Feels like it's been like J.K. Dobbins and Pat Ricard and not a whole lot in the dog mentality. I mean, Lamar, but other than that, you know, they need, need some more of it. So um
1: Pickens how soon before pickens fights peters that's the question okay i'm gonna get it yeah maybe they're
2: bullying the entire team who knows well there's your there's your pretty much your maybe argument. they
1: bully ben cleveland and he plays up to his size let's let's do that
2: there's your there's your argument for the john harbaugh like you, you know you bring a head case in and you have a good locker room culture and then that kind of calms the head case down is marcus peters like right there it's like A guy who, you know, people talk about maybe being a little bit uh, hot under the collar, but there's no real, like, legal stuff or anything to talk about, Uh, at least nothing. Right,
1: and, like, the Earl Thomas thing and why, like, Earl Thomas wasn't a hothead, like, in his mentality. He just didn't give a fuck about anyone, including his teammates, including going as far as telling the corners, you're on your fucking own. That's not really, like, a coach can't rein that in. That's just a guy being a fucking asshole. So, I mean, it's like, again, you can't be like, we have this awesome players coach, that is able to resonate. And then you hear Marcus Peters talk about Harbaugh and you're like, that's what being a player's coach means. He found something in Baltimore that was different than what he had had previously. And he's bad stability. Outside As of the a history.
0: fan, I want the sick in the head guy. If I'm, you know, have to move my kids to a new school in another city, another state across the country with another team, because I'm a scout or a GM or something, putting my name on it. I think it's a little different, but I think the fan base is very much thirsty for someone that wants to fight. And and fight maybe more in the like fight to win sense than fist fight. But I mean we could we could use a scrap here and there a one game suspension. I'm kind of willing to bet on a player that if they bust, if my biggest reason why a player busts is because they fight on the football field too often. I think that's like a good way to go out. Like if someone's gonna be a bust because they're too crazy in the head on the field, that's kind of fun. That's a fun way to strike out. Like you're not striking out looking. You fucking struck out trying to hit a 500-foot grand slam in the bottom of the ninth in the ALCS.
2: Shout-out to uh, that comment by Mark. Uh, It reminds me of the Steve Smith-Lardarius Webb. They get into a fight, and then Steve Smith buys Lardarius Webb Dunkin' Donuts, hash browns, uh, the next day. It feels like it could be that type of situation between these two clowns. Uh, So it feels like uh, Pickens going through there over Lloyd. Do you guys agree? Let's do it. Okay.
0: I'm sticking with for the content mainly like it's partially for the content, but I really do like the player.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I, like I said, Lloyd, great player. Just, you know, count me, count me out on the, the off ball linebackers highly in this class. Uh, okay. So we've pretty, you know, we've gone through all the players at this point. It kind of comes down to with these next rounds, uh, value and, uh, fit, uh, in that extent. So we've got Charles Cross as a one versus Jermaine Johnson as a two. And that's a pretty pretty
0: heavyweight matchup there. What, what are we thinking, boys? I think this whole board right now, I want to go through the whole board real quick. Just 10 seconds. Charles Cross, Jermaine Johnson, love that matchup. Hamilton-Booth, I think, is a fun matchup. Davis versus round two at Jabo is fun. Pickens and Petrie is kind of like, you know, not great. Kind of shitty. Whoever wins that is going to lose. But um like these first three a lot. Yeah, but Charles Cross, Jermaine Johnson, that's, that's like, this is my own personal double red star. These are my two of the top of the draft guys that I really love. It's Cross, it's Johnson. I've been on them. I've stayed on them. I've rewatched. I've never felt bad about them this entire process. Nothing has made me question either. And both of them might be slightly unattainable. So I think this is a really fun matchup to start with. And it's tough. Both classes tackle. It feels like you can find some tackles second, third round edge rusher. You feel like you can find some edge rusher second, third round. Um, John, there's like a little bit of a question with both that we kind of work through a little bit of like oh he played in an air raid offense or johnson is a little older and couldn't get playing time at georgia or you know didn't have high pass rush win rate whatever there's a couple narratives out there on each um man i think it's really tough i think i view cross as a potential top pass protector in the entire nfl um being a top like i think there is a, a non a, a realistic possibility of him being a top three pass protecting left tackle for a long time in the NFL. I think he's that damn good. Johnson, who I do absolutely love, view him as more of a really freaking good, solid player who never is an all pro. I just really like him to come in, play quickly, always be good and provide instant value nonstop. So between kind of where I view the the players and what they become, I think Cross is better and ultimately becomes a better player in, in the scope of their peers relative to the position. Uh, Johnson has a little bit of, like, discount Miles Garrett to him, I think, in some ways. A little undersized. Uh, I love what he can do as a run defender, being able to long arm in what the Ravens have classically wanted. Having Owe and Johnson as your bookends for a long time is a nightmare to run the ball to the outside against. They will make plays inside. You can't pick on either one of them to the sideline. Um, OA can do some more interesting things in space, I think, but Johnson can too. So I think those are sick, nasty. Bowser then becomes a, a toy a little bit more, in my opinion. You can bank on his versatile skill set more so, not ask OA or Johnson to be super versatile. Um, Very interesting. I think that the marriage of the best outcome of Johnson being a pro bowl, but not all pro player is awesome for this defense, for the foundation of the Ravens moving forward. And again, it comes back to the the best case scenario kind of isn't ideal with cross where it's Ronnie Stanley's fine cross and Stanley both don't really profile as a right tackle. It's weird. So I, I think this is a weird, weird matchup, but a very fun one. feels like to me,
2: you're more realistically sticking and picking with Johnson at 14 and it feels like Charles cross is going to be, have to, have to be a trade-up. I think they both fill pretty much equal needs. Uh, and if not, it might be a little bit of a weirder fit with cross with Stanley's health allegedly checking out and Morgan Moses coming into the picture. I kind of like Johnson here. Cole, what do you think?
1: So I'm a tiebreaker. Oh, I hate this. Um, you do really well laid out cases. Um, Again, I I can see the path to both. It's kinda of, are you paying your ultimate insurance? Um, but a guy that's also gonna fit versus um, you know, someone that's gonna come in and be an impact player on the defensive side of the ball. Cause I do think he's I think he's day one ready, um, which is good because I, I I saw I mean, I guess anyone that excels at run defense is gonna be day one ready. Um, I really feel like Oway could do a little bit more. Um, stand up Sam stuff that you kind of saw Ojabo do in there uh, in that Michigan defense where, you know, Jermaine Johnson's kind of hand in the dirt doing the Hutchinson role um, a bit more. So I, I see the argument for both and you would expect me to go with Charles Cross, but I'm actually going to go with Jermaine Johnson and move him on. Um, mm. I just think it just, it, I, I think I can get a tackle later that I feel better about, and I'm just not going to feel the same about the edge rusher. And that's kind of what bugs me. Um, but again, I, I don't think you can go wrong either way. Um, like both have makes such clear sense to me.
2: The O-line boy turns his back on, uh, his, his kind. That's, that's why i see
1: if his name was Rashid Walker, I would have went with Rashid Walker. So,
2: mm. okay. Well, Jermaine Johnson goes through as a two over a one. So there's another upset as we move on to Kyle Hamilton, a three versus Andy Booth, Jr. The four, this is an interesting one. Benjamin, what do you think,
0: man? Um. Wow, I think this is a really peculiar matchup. I kind of am at a loss for words. Ha- Hamilton coming in might not really make you win more games. I don't. I don't know. I kind of think I just want to go with Booth for the fact that he is a cornerback. Um, I'm not trading up for Hamilton. I don't want to move for Hamilton. Hamilton's BPA 14. Everyone else went. Hamilton's there. Fine, we take him. Twist my arm. Uh, Booth, you know, probably a little bit more of a trade down scenario, but with Marcus Williams coming in, I, I just think it's like how, even if Hamilton's really good, how many safeties do I have? How many corners do I have? I still am going to need a corner. I'm probably going to have to draft or acquire a corner next year. The James Bradbury factor is interesting. I don't know, man, this, this one's kind of tough for me. Um, I'll, I'll go point, man, I'll go point Andrew Booth. Um, I'll, I'll go with the corner here. And I'll, I'll say that it's just because I think he doesn't have to be a corner one. You've already paid your $100 million corner. You're never going to need Booth to be alone to elevate your entire secondary. But I would love to have him if Marlon can't play or if I need to move on from Marcus Peters, whatever happens. I think you're getting some security. I think he's developmental. I think he's super young still. Uh, pressure's not on him. And again, it really just feels like deja vu of what happened with Marlon Humphrey in, what was that, 2017. 2017 draft where you don't have to have a corner in the first round, but man, it probably ends up being a really good idea.
2: So I'm going to, I'm going to go with Kyle Hamilton uh, just for the fact that he is the best player. It's a stick and pick with 14. He's my guy. I kind of, I have to go with him. Uh, I do like Andrew Booth though, but you know, there, I think there's something to the idea of if the best player in the draft potentially is just staring you in the face at 14, you take him. And then there's some guys available at cornerback, on day two and even day three that I think could maybe be reasonable uh, for you to pick and maybe potentially get into the rotation because as they've said, they have two first round cornerbacks coming back to play for them in Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters. So Cole, Mark, get out of here with that. All right. My lines are was fine. A
0: funny, isolated comment. Those lines are too thick.
2: My <laughs> lines are fine. Okay. Cole, what do you think?
1: <laughs> I think i Mr. Disagree with Spencer today. Um, mm. I just think, and I love Andy and I love the nickname Andy. Um, I just think Kyle Hamilton's a better player. And I think you can get them. I, I think you get them on the field with Marcus Williams and you feel just fine about it. Um, but I, I, it's tough because I think Andrew Booth can probably play inside and outside for you. So it's again, it's kind of like the previous one. I don't think you can really go wrong, um, but I'm going to kind of stick to my BPA guns and go with Kyle Hamilton. Definitely can see
0: it. And the counter argument is that, when you when you need a corner, having Williams and Clark and Hamilton probably takes you know the pressure off. You can do more too high stuff.
1: Am I giving too much credit to the bills in my mind right now? Because I think I am.
0: <laughs> I just like the pronunciation. They, I think Jordan they poisoned me. The peculiar part to me about it is that I think you sign Williams to not play too high as much. Probably. That's fair. So It's 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 a a, I think this was a very messy one, but I don't think you can really go too wrong here. Other side of the bracket, we have Jordan Davis as a one versus David Ojabo as a seven. This one's really intriguing to me. I think there's some risk associated with both players. Um, Again, we're assuming the best. We're assuming Ojabo maybe can't contribute a ton as a rookie. If if he can contribute, it's for the playoffs. And still then he's playing his first games of his career this year. So an effective red shirt, um, you can double dip, go get an edge that you feel like can play very much. So, but then Jordan Davis, again, you know, positional value, do you view him as a run stuffer? Can he stay on the field? All of those things we previously mentioned. Um, this is a really tough one. I think, man, if we're going to go glass half full Actually, for the sake of the exercise, I'm going Jordan Davis here. I'm going Jordan Davis
1: just for this for the sake of the exercise, how I want it to play out.
0: I, I like don't want to be annoying,
1: but I am curious. What would you have done if Ojabo was healthy? Just I'm just curious. Man, maybe maybe they wouldn't have been seated this way, but I just I, uh, I, would, I would have went Ojabo if he didn't tear his Achilles. He was a I, I would guy have Ojabo like. I would probably have Ojabo like
0: that this is why it's weird because again, if he is healthy, I'm still like, okay, well, I he's gonna be a DPR a little bit. We've got some work to do against the run. We've got some stuff to do, but still you're gonna get some high, high, high quality pass rushing reps out of him. Um I it's might I might if healthy go I might go Jabbo, but I think I still like like he might not being edge five for me still. So I think I would rather have you know DT one than edge five here and would be curious to see. Uh, I mean, Ojabo's testing wasn't insane, I think his length wasn't quite as insane, so I, I don't know, it's tough. I don't know, man.
1: I'm good with JD too, I, I like that.
2: Okay, so Jordan Davis goes through then. Uh, I would have voted for Ojabo uh, in the second round because I just like the idea of getting maybe a little bit more of a valuable position. Uh, if the board falls that way, you never know. I mean, I'd still like Jordan Davis in certain scenarios at 14, but. I would like the idea of something a little bit more splashy and then Ojabo on day two. But Jordan Davis goes through as the one seed, uh, and he will be facing off against the winner of Jalen Petrie as a six versus George
0: Pickens as a four. Gentlemen, what do we think? I think I'm going to go Pickens, second round Pickens. um, Just think X receiver, slot corner, Petrie could be an excellent slot corner and I'd rather have maybe a good X receiver. And again, I kind of just want to lean offense in this little, little bit of luxury. It's just that I don't think Petrie, if Petrie could play some outside corner, I think I would easily go in that sense. He again also might be going a lot higher if that were the case. Uh, so I think I want to lead in Pickens here, but I would love to have Petrie on my team. I don't know either way. Jordan Davis is about to eat them. So it doesn't matter. Absolutely. So, I, I, yeah, I'd vote Pickens, too. What do you think, Cole?
1: Yeah, second pick.
2: Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was trying to come up with something witty, and it, it failed.
2: Listen, that's perfectly fine. All, all that matters is you tried. So, <laughs> George I think... Thickens goes through, uh, and he will face off against Gordon Davis as a one. So, on the other side, we have Jermaine Johnson as a two versus Kyle Hamilton as a three. What do we
1: think? Dan fellas? quit being the bracket guy. Like <laughs> he's in here poking holes in the theory of the bracket. <laughs> Dan says the bracket that is, is the most Dan. do i play the four seen. and the two versus the three, not the one versus the two and the three
0: versus the four. And he is right. Okay, Dan. Do you you know, like
2: do you want to Dan, make it next time? Because you're more you than welcome. I just fucking worked all day think? and then I came home and had to put this together.
0: So sorry, but here we are. Here we are. I don't know how much would have changed ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, we're here and. It could. It could have. But this is the way the exercise. It's still going to be out.
1: Jermaine Johnson versus Jordan Davis in the finals.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I think so. If we had Stingley instead of Sauce, I don't know. But who knows? Apparently the Texans are. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on on Twitter right now. But anyway, Hamilton versus Johnson. I'm going Johnson. I I love Johnson. I think I I have a pretty similar grade on them. Um, I, I see Hamilton potentially being somewhere between a Darwin James and a Cam Chancellor, uh, maybe a little less, less extremes of those, and a little more middle 50 outcome. But Jermaine Johnson, give me give me the need to the tie goes to the need. Uh, I just like his game. I think he can contribute immediately. I think he can c- contribute in the long term. He's balanced. He's well rounded. You get a good run defender, a good pass rusher, and someone that checks a lot of boxes can do some things in space for you. And I'm very happy. Jermaine Johnson's probably my favorite player on this whole board. So I, I think I'm going to go Johnson here.
2: Yeah, it just makes the most sense. Kyle Hamilton's my guy. But, yeah, I just think with the need being there and the uh, player being as good as he is, I think Jermaine Johnson makes sense to go
1: through on that side. Bang on, concrete. Boom. Other side. Down goes Hamilton. And on the other side, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be contrary to. I'm gonna pick George Pickens because he just gets, he gets a little too sick, and I, I just want to see it. I want to see him be a Raven, so I'm gonna go with George
2: Pickens. So we're, you know, George Pickens. He's probably not gonna win this, but uh, you know, you guys keep talking about him like a sicko. I just like the, uh, like the idea of him at training camp just blaring, you know, limp biscuit. Maybe a little bit of a uh, break <laughs> stuff. Just going absolutely, you know ham it's one of those days you know everything's fucked everybody sucks him and marcus peters are just you know jawing at each other it would be fun
0: but obviously jordan davis is going to go through here right i'm uh i'm going to go jordan davis as well and if if for for the sake of the exercise so we can debate jermaine johnson versus jordan davis
1: which I, i think is still like spence asked last night and it was a great question is it more likely that JJ goes top three or falls to 14. And I said goes top three, but I I just, I don't know if that's just me reacting to the Twitter rumors. Um, it's, it's killing me. It's really killing me. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Dan, I think I, I think
2: I did do it right because it was one versus eight. It was just, it wasn't like the traditional number of a bracket that you would see. It was only 16 total. So
0: we're in the championship round. (laughs) Fuck all that noise. Jermaine Johnson the second, Jordan Davis, the big baby versus this is this is the a, a great final exercise. We ended up going to it's only defensive possibilities. So what are what is the full context here? Need, I think you're getting very good as opposed to potential to be great. Um, I think you're hitting a double solidly, a double and and driving a runner in. Davis feels like there's more bustability and a little bit more risk. It is not necessarily a need, but man, it's really difficult to look at what he did at the combine, to look at what you know he can do, to watch him beat the living shit out of Landon Dickerson in 2020, uh, playing 35 snaps in that game, whatever, and know that you're going to bring someone that is unique, is heavy, is impactful, and can actually run a quarterback down unless it's like Kyler Murray or Lamar or maybe Josh Allen can run them down, can force them to banana to the sideline, do some things, bring the length, bring the noise, get him in one-on-one matchups, all of those things. This is a tough one for me. Two of my favorite three players in this draft for the Ravens. So for me, I think this worked out well. Um, Johnson, you know, maybe not as realistic anymore through all the, all the noise that's coming out. We'll see if that was smoke or not, but this is a, a, a big time, tough one. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Jordan Davis for the sake of the exercise and leave some more debate up for you guys. See how you go. I think you'll both end up going JJ in the end. But Davis to me is is trying to swing for the fences. And if you don't hit it with the meaty part of the bat, then you're ending up getting a high-level impact run defender for a few years that can bring length, can bring strength, and I still wins mat- thinks wins some matchups, but think the all-pro potential is a little. Salivating, tough to say, but for the sake of the exercise, I want to go Jordan Davis. Although I do absolutely love Jermaine Johnson.
1: Uh really good summary again. Um, I'm I'm gonna go with Jermaine Johnson. And I just think if Jermaine Johnson wasn't such a good run defender, I'd probably feel a little bit differently here. But I just I see him as, you know, opposite away. It's kind of the same thing. I just I'm gonna get two bookend edges that can kind of develop together. Um both of them give me a speed rush. They can develop, you know, or they can play with a great long arm. Oh, needs to develop it. But, um, you know, I think you know, it goes back to what we said earlier with the idea of jabs and, uh, jabs and hooks. I think Jermaine Johnson can, he has all of the traits to develop into a complete pass rusher. In addition to being a violent edge setter. Um, I just see the complete package as an edge player. Um, and it's, you know, hate to say it, Jake's probably going to say it, but I I think the positional value is of some sort of relevance in this case, though I do think Jordan Davis having that freakish alien pass rush ability is something you need to actually think about. I don't see him as just a one-tech. Um so I'm going to go with Jermaine Johnson.
2: Yeah, and it's not just positional value in this case. It's, you know, need and value meeting pretty much perfectly where you have a, a still a needed edge. I mean, an acknowledged needed edge where they try to go and get Sidarius Smith and that doesn't work out. And, you know, you're you're sniffing around on some other guys potentially. But, you know, here this guy is looking you in the face and uh, he is, you know, freaky off the edge. He'd pair up very nicely with OA. And you already made an investment, like we said, with Michael Pierce. And, you know, is it, you know, fuck that, who cares with Jordan Davis? Maybe in some scenarios, but when it's going up against Jermaine Johnson, I'm picking Jermaine Johnson every day of the week. So he is... The winner of the official beatdown big board, Jermaine Johnson to the second seed, the two seed, beating Jordan Davis in the final round to uh, take the bracket. So, congratulations. That was team. probably
1: the most ideal final. Um, you know, cross got, sure. I, I think that worked out really well. Yeah, absolutely. So- Definitely. I think that this
0: worked again and that the Goldilocks prospect is indeed Jermaine Johnson of need of early contribution of being a solid player throughout the next couple of years. Um, I love him. He is one of my two favorite players at the top of the draft being with Charles Cross. And I went with him over Charles Cross. So that was really fun for me. I think all of those exercises were a lot of fun, got a little funky in that right corner. But again, I think this is the Goldilocks prospect need freeing up the rest of the draft in some other deep areas um, taking advantage of, it is a deep edge class, but guess what? We can we can float through that, picking out the other areas that aren't in the next couple of rounds and, and trying to find areas that we think we need to uh, freeze you up. And, and you're getting a day one starter and hopefully a Pro Bowl player. You know, Judon, I think, is not a dissimilar player from Jermaine Johnson. I think Jermaine Johnson's got a little more tools in the toolbox as a pass rusher. Uh, coming out of college for sure, but I think that kind of production is a very probable outcome for him being a 50-plus pressure, 8-11-ish to sack kind of guy that is a good run defender, can pursue in space. Um, so I think what would he look like in the Ravens' defense? Kind of a little similar to Judon. I don't think they're the same player by any by any means, but what we've seen, if Matt McDonald ends up being pretty similar to Wink in a lot of ways, I think that's kind of what we're looking at with Johnson pretty quickly. Also, Judon was an older prospect. Johnson's 23, prodigious length, great run defender, balance game, Goldilocks. I think this exercise worked again, even though it was a little more messy at 14 this year, but uh, I'm pumped with this one. I'm very curious to see how the audience decides as they nailed it last year. So very curious to see.
2: Yeah, it's much less of an obvious exercise, weirdly, because I feel like 14, you just have a lot more possibilities open, uh, at least as far as like really good players go. So I think that's a big part of it. I think another part of it is this draft is kind of weird and unpredictable and there's not a lot of good quarterbacks. So that kind of throws... Wrenches into uh, just who is going to be falling down the board to them. So, going to be some options there, going to be some good ones. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's a handful of guys that uh, we really like, and uh, Jermaine Johnson was certainly one of them. So, him winning the big board is no surprise for our purposes. We'll see what happens as far as the fan goes. Be sure to keep an eye out for uh, uh, the fan bracket that we're going to be tweeting out uh, tomorrow at Podcast Beatdown. It's going to be the same bracket, but uh, you guys are just going to get to vote on it um in your own in your own way uh, and so there's going to be uh, obviously a, a little bit of a, a twitter competition uh, going down and we'll see what you guys decide as far as your favorites and like we said y'all nailed it with Rashad Bateman last year i think we had him in our final last year and uh, ultimately kind you of so support- tryon yeah we we so we had tryon versus bateman uh-huh. and we decided to go with tryon kind of at the very last minute there i think in a little bit of an upset we Like we've been saying, we kind of were on the right track there with them picking O.A. Uh, and Tryon going a couple picks later. But, uh, yeah, ultimately, I think uh, it was a great exercise last year. I think it was a lot of fun this year for us. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it as well.
0: I have to say that we did do Jordan Davis versus Trevor Penning at 14. If the board plays out that way and Davis is on the board, a lot of those guys are not. Um, other, other prospects are not, then – I have to say, I wish they took Jordan Davis because that executed in my mind. So that is the final pen there. And Dan says, "How high would you guys trade up to get Jaree Johnson?" I think eleven.
1: Yeah, eleven. Yeah, just getting in front of, like, him. You know, I, I I I seriously think he's just that complete guy that they need. And I I, I like you kind of saw McDonald and the way he used to kind of bookend rushers like it, it just makes so much sense it allows you to do so much more on the inside so you can high low
0: with those rushers but then you factor in taking some pressure off of bowser entering him into the mix when he is more towards healthy a lot of fun and i do think jermaine johnson is the goldilocks for the ravens in the first round here uh, hopefully hopefully thibodeau well whatever thibodeau is not making it to 14 or else he would have been on the board so hopefully for edge rushers maybe carloftis sneaks ahead of him who the heck knows but i think a, one of the best fits in this entire in the nfl for jermaine johnson would be in baltimore um i think a lot of people would agree but cole thank you so much for joining us on this very long voyage on draft week tire you out go get some sleep go get some uh animal crackers with icing on them like you like you look so and, beaten down <laughs> i'm just so tired
1: just so, the uh no it's been tragedy. fun boys this is too uh I mean, we've spent four hours together in the last two days and it's been a blast. So I appreciate you guys. And, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, as much as I look rundown, that's cause I have a very small child that likes to yell things at me that I have to do for her until she yells more.
2: So well, that's not that different than your experience
1: with us. So <laughs> that's facts. All right, boys. Thanks so much. Thanks everyone in the chat. Peace out. Peace out. Uh, where can the
2: uh, people find you and your work? we get you going
1: two guys watching football on the youtube at cole jackson fb on twitter um if you guys want to debate trevor penning or george carlaftis apparently i am representing them uh for all legal matters uh this week uh so always looking to cut it up over there but yeah two guys watching football on youtube uh if you guys want to go watch a fun show last night Uh, spenny and jake showing me for a live mock four rounds uh with 31 other real gms and it was a lot of fun so go check that out and who did
0: uh, uh, who did i name drop there beat down you said cole looks beat down oh yeah yeah
1: (laughs) i didn't even catch that did you guys notice that i spelt the podcast name wrong in the title last night i had beatdown podcast and someone was like that's absolutely not what the podcast or what their twitter is well you probably you <laughs> probably wanted to avoid oh, well. us
2: getting followers because uh you know you're, yeah. it, we're in such heated competition with each other but uh, it's
1: uh we're in each other's space even though we hang out every night <laughs> yeah,
2: so funny how that works but uh yeah this was uh this was a long one a big veiny triumphant bastard of an episode uh but it was a lot of fun uh hour and 53 we're running on close to so I'm going to get this piece of shit edited and then uh, go watch We Own the City tonight, which everyone should be tuning into. It's going to be great on HBO. Check that out. Uh, feel free to follow us on Twitter at Podcast Beatdown. Keep an eye out for the uh, fan poll that we're going to be starting up tomorrow. Uh, I'll see how I handle that. I think we'll probably do it over, maybe just do it over the course of one day, but keep an eye out for that. Like I said, follow me on Twitter at Jake Luke, L-O-U-Q-U-E is how you spell that. You can follow Spin at Ravens4Dummies. That's the number four in the middle. Thanks as always for listening, guys. Ton of fun with the big board yet again this year and looking forward to an even more fun one next year. Until next See ya. time, arrivederci.
1: Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Get, get, get that.
2: Baltimore.
1: What are they giving? Everything out of me. They're going to get a Super Bowl out of me. You that. You that.